welcome to We Blame Our Shelves, a podcast where two librarians discuss books, movies, games, and you know, anything that you can find on your shelf. I am the arm, and I sound like this, wah, 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 Dan Major, and I am joined by... Um, I've done the time warp, but I'm not sure if I'm willing to do it again. Uh, James P., a librarian in training. So your reference, obviously... Rocky Horror Picture Show, obviously, which I'm going to a midnight showing of <gasps> later this month. I'm I've really, never, I've never done it. I watch it every Halloween. Never seen it in a theater. I can't wait for like squirt guns and costumes and yelling and throwing stuff. And... I've only seen it once, and I and everyone's like, "Oh, you got to see it. You got to see it in the theater. You got to see it in the theater." And I was like, "It's still playing in theaters." And then I heard about the midnight showing. Yeah, and I've been trying to go. For there, years. there's a like Rocky Horror Preservation Society of Michigan. <laughs> And they they Let's do get showings. The podcast. Let's <laughs> yeah. get them on the podcast. They do showings of it like every month or something. So, um, but I'm trying to find something. I've found stuff in like Ann Arbor, but I'm looking for something close. They used to show it in Pontiac, um, but they're not doing it this year at the uh, one of my favorite places, the uh, Pontiac Little Art Theater. The Platt, oh yeah, yeah, Platt, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. which has an amazing restaurant in the front of it. I was gonna say the um, only one I found recently was down all the way down in Dearborn, and I'm like. Mm. Cl- closer than an arbor <laughs> for us but but yeah uh, it's it's a hike but i'm sure like as we get closer to halloween oh, yeah. i'll find something nearby something. and uh, my reference do you know what my reference was from i believe it was twin peaks it was because everything that i do <laughs> relates somehow to twin Peaks. that was the but... the oh what is it it's uh the guy in the room what's the guy called in the room yeah he, he he's called the arm the arm and he's a very short man who I... speaks forwards backwards and has a very as everything in Twin Peaks has a very complicated and unclear backstory, which is start part of the appeal. So. <laughs> and those are both, if if we might, uh, cult media. Cult media. Uh, you got TV shows with cult Twin Peaks. You got the movies with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, and that's our topic for today, isn't it? Yes. As a follow up to kind of the conclusion of of last month's podcast, yes. where we were talking about whether. Drive. Uh, drive. Yeah. Drive. Was that a cult movie? So so I Googled it and um Dylan, if you're listening, yes, Drive is considered a cult movie. So I apologize for even questioning it. <laughs> Wouldn't that it be was... great if Dylan actually <laughs> listens to our podcast? <laughs> we have a we have a lifelong fan now. Um but uh so yeah, cult media is one of those um hard to define genres. Mm-hmm. What makes it cult? Right, like, is it is it the following? Is it the fans? Is it the fact that it didn't have a very good um, initial release, but then it came out and uh, it had a a sort of like a following after the fact? Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of digging on this one. I did. I went down a um, academic <laughs> resources rabbit hole. Yeah, because that's the only way you're gonna <clears throat> get like a definitive answer from an expert, and it's not like a. And there's so many film studies out there that yeah. that have just basically I've seen, I I found one that was a dissertation for a PhD <laughs> written on cult media and I, and it was really very dry and <laughs> I'm like we can't share this <laughs> but um I did find one that was kind of mainstream kind of one that can the least academic of all of the ones I found was a book called Fan Cultures by Matt Hills and um he quoted a guy um and Greg Taylor and he says it's the fans that determine what media is cult mm-hmm. so fans are not true crit- uh, cultists this is from the this is from the book quote fans are not true cultists unless they pose their fandom as a resistant activity 
one that keeps them from one step ahead of those forces that would try to market their resistance, uh, their taste back to them. So, like, for example, uh, mainstream would be, like, I'd say a Michael Bay movie, like Transformers, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, we're just going to the lowest common denominator. <laughs> who Anybody who goes to see this from, like, your grandpa to the 17-year-old boy, like, will enjoy it somewhat. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll throw in old jokes, obviously, the explosions and the action. Whereas I think cult films are more nuanced. Like there's a niche group of people yes. who will attach themselves to the media, the TV show, the movie. I couldn't find any books. I I found just a couple. Um, you know, the, the first one I ordered, <laughs> I ran into this with one of our other episodes. It was a book about cult films from 1981. Okay. And I feel like... <laughs> Most of the cult popular films at this point in time are post-1981. I mean, there are things that are earlier than that, um, but like, it had like Tarzan in it. The yeah. original Tarzan, which I don't think is quite meets what we're looking for. Same. Um, the, the book I ended up finding um, that was helpful in the research for this was put out by Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. Um, and it's called Rotten <laughs> Movies We Love. And... Cult movies don't have to be bad. A lot of them are. Yes. yes. (laughs) But there's like significant redeeming factors in it. And to me, I mean, the primary thing is the enduring popularity of a movie. Like the Heathers, you know, you mentioned the Heathers in a room full of people. And there's going to be several people in there that are like, oh, my God, I love that movie. I watch it every year. Um, As opposed to a Disney movie where it's like, okay, yeah, it's good. It's fine. Um commercial success again not doesn't disqualify something from being a cult movie it no. can be commercially successful but most cult movies are more successful 10 years after their release than they were in their initial release i think a good example of that is is not a movie but a tv show with doctor who like in mm-hmm. the original like 60s 70s it was nobody really watched it. It wasn't until it got rebooted in like the I want to say early two thousands. Yeah, and it's getting more and more popular. Yeah, and the old season. I mean, there's new seasons that, of course, everybody loves, but the old seasons are more popular now when they were when they first came out. Exactly, like a lot of people rediscovered them. Mm-hmm. And then um, you kind of mentioned this too: is it appeals to niche communities. Um, usually these are movies made by and for minority populations. Not always. Yeah. Um, but a, a high number of them are LGBT movies or um, there's a lot of like kind of like those black exploitation sort of movies that are considered cult classics. Now. Yes. Yes. Um, and I was going to say a lot of horror. Horror for sure. A lot of horror. <laughs> and it's good that we're talking about this in October. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I found this this article called The 40 Best Cult Movies of All Time from Time Out Magazine, but it was on their website, timeout.com. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of it was anti-establishment. A lot of the titles on there were like anti-establishment movies like um, uh, Pink Flamingos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty I, I have a Pink Flamingos movie poster framed on my wall yeah. in my living room. <laughs> yeah, like LGBTQ Do I recommend characters? Pink Flamingos to everyone? Absolutely not. <laughs> Do I recommend Pink Flamingos to the kind of person I feel that would appreciate it? Yes, but <laughs> that's how you gauge your friendship. Like, <laughs> yeah. You can watch are Pink you, Flamingos. Are you I'm someone that can this. handle the uh, the questionable morals of this film? <laughs> and then if they come back to you like, I didn't like that movie, you're like, well, yeah. we can't be friends. 
No, um, but I was gonna say LGBTQ characters like um, uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch and, yes. and all that other stuff. <laughs> Hedwig and the Angry Inch is like one of the it it's it's so weird. Um, I feel like every gay teenager in the Detroit area in 2000 through 2003 or four, like if you didn't go to the main <laughs> art theater in Royal Oak to see Hedwig and the Angry Inch, like you were dead to everyone. Um, but like it had a, a large presence in a very niche community in a specific time frame. And again, that got rebooted as like a musical with like, I think Neil Patrick Harris was the lead in it. Wasn't it a musical first? The the movie yeah it was like a musical it was like and an then off Broadway musical a movie, then the movie musical and then and now it's main Broadway. a Broadway <laughs> musical yeah um which is kind of yeah that's like it's anti-establishment right mm-hmm. um and they and anyway uh back to the list uh, they're all campy over the top violence especially for horror movies like Army of Darkness yeah. <laughs> and and all that stuff and and they're kind of ahead of their time yeah I, I they right? they seem to set some trends that yeah. people will kind of glom onto. Or like clerks, like if you watch clerks today, it's like this is the internet. Yeah. <laughs> like you're this, you're this is they took transcripts from the internet and they're just reading them out loud. But back in the back in the day, like when clerks came out, that was pretty much unheard of. Like that was very like that was the comic book culture hasn't hadn't taken off like it has today. It's funny that you mentioned clerks because I have never seen clerks before, and <laughs> I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago. I watched. Um, the Lord of the Rings, because that show just came out recently. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I need to watch this because I don't really remember any of it. I've never been a big fan. I'm like, they were good, but they're just doing a lot <laughs> of walking. And it's kind of like, it's it's nine hours of people walking. And my friend's like, you've got to watch this clip from Clerks. Because yes. there's like a full scene about like, Lord of the Rings is just people walking. And I'm like, oh, so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not just my complaint about this movie yeah book series or whatever and um that's i think what makes a great cult movie is Mm -hmm. it's it's ahead of its time like like nerds making fun of things (laughs) 80 percent of the internet 80 percent of the internet now (laughs) well um so we're gonna talk about a couple specific cult movies from these lists um you picked the uh the article from time out the best cult movies of all time um, I went through the Rotten Tomatoes book. So what were your two picks for cult movies? Well, I really liked Army of Darkness. Yeah. That was one of the movies that I saw at the right time. It was, <laughs> it was, and I watch it every, this time of year, every year. Well, actually, it, I watch, I watch the original Evil Dead every year. I, I don't do the watch trilogy. Every... I was about okay. to say, I yeah, do yeah, the yeah, trilogy. Yeah. I do the Worth Evil it. Dead, the Evil Dead 2, which is the remake of the original movie, and then Army of Darkness, and I, it's to go from like the over the top violence and yeah. campiness of and the low budget, low like, low budget, and a very young Bruce Campbell mm-hmm. to um, Army of Darkness, which is just over the top humor. Like mm-hmm. He does his physical comedy, but it still has that 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 violence in it. Um, he says one of the best lines ever: "Shop smart, shop shop S- S- smart, S- smart." Have you seen Evil Dead the musical? I've not seen the musical. It is the best live performance <laughs> I've ever been to. The first like five rows of the uh, theater, like people wear white t-shirts because they spray so much blood. Wow! Like stage blood in like buckets, and it like when I went to see it, there was like a ten-year-old kid in the front row, 
and the actors were like really hamming it up to this kid in particular and just like <laughs> spraying him from head to toe in stage blood and he's like cheering and everything and the music's actually really good and it's it's just a I feel like you mentioned this in another episode probably but I I, I hope it tours because I really want to see it it sounds yeah. really fun yeah um but Army of Darkness is just yeah it's to go from that kind of over the top violence in Evil Dead to the over the top comedy and mm-hmm. it's it's just perfect i would suggest watching it for halloween every yeah, year too yeah it's a good october movie um and then the other one was wet hot american summer <sighs> well, one of the funniest <laughs> movies i've ever seen that 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 is my friendship gauge so if you can watch <laughs> you can watch wet hot american summer and laugh as hard as i do we're great but if you're like i don't get it then i'm like we had a good well, time and your parting gift that is a good example like you mentioned like it sets trends for different movies yeah like the amount of actors that are now famous for incredible, like Chris Maloney, um, what not CSI? He's on um, um, Law and Order. Law and Order. Like to see him in a comedy role that long ago with these other people who have all gone in very di- different directions. Yeah, there's like a dozen very very famous. Oh, do- Bradley actors Cooper. In it. Bradley. Bradley Cooper. Cooper Janine Garofalo. Bradley Cooper and Janine Garofalo in the same sentence is weird. <laughs> or like Michael Ian Black, who I think is very underappreciated, underappreciated. and hilarious. Um, you see a Paul Rudd who looks exactly the same <laughs> yeah, as he, he does today. Age. <laughs> um, you see Amy Poehler. Yeah, and but it, it the comedy in it is, I would almost say it's it's very Vine-esque. Mm-hmm. It's very short. Like they're, they're vignettes. There's really no cobbled together story. It's just we think this scene lampooning a 80s teen movie yeah we think this scene will be hilarious so let's just do it mm-hmm. and that's all it is it's an hour and a half of lampooning 80s teens movies and you're like this is brilliant um david hyde pierce yeah he's in it and like that movie came out in what 2001 or something, something. Like that, yeah and then they had the show on netflix that came out two, three years ago something like that and all the original cast who are like you know, have gone, again, in very different directions. They all wanted to be part of this remake show, yeah. which is just really cool because you know that they they appreciated this movie and they thought it was valuable and they were, you know, how, like, Second City comedians or yes. SNL comedians stick together. This is, like, a different group of people with a different style of humor that all really play off each other. Weren't, really a, lot well. them, weren't a lot of them in that uh, MTV sketch comedy Mr. show? Mr. Show? The Slate? The State. The state. The state. I maybe. I don't think I've ever heard of that. It was very Saturday Night Live, um, uh, Kids in the Hall esque. Mm. So it was like that late night kind of humor on MTV for a while there. Um, I think that was the beginning of MTV not showing music videos. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I thought that those two movies, like to me, are the epitome of cult movies. When I it comes to. I agree very much. I I like both of those. So what'd you what'd you pick from the Rotten Tomatoes book? Um, so my first pick, primarily because it is October, is Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, of course. Um, I I think it is one of the best examples because it was a moderate success at the time. At the time, yeah. Um, you know, didn't make millions and millions of dollars, but it you know made money when it first came out. But it has transformed into something completely different over 40 years. Um, And for a a film to still be in theaters every 
year or every month or whatever. That they have a preservation um, society. They have a preservation <laughs> society. And it's like the original directors and cast, like they didn't come up with all of these callbacks and things that you do during the movie. That was created by the fans when they went to these midnight showings. I didn't know that. And it, it's like, it's just such a thing now. And they give you like a gift bag at a lot of the places where you go in <laughs> and you get like a roll of toilet paper to throw when so-and-so says See, a certain I line. Always, or... I always wondered that because I, I know what happens at these showings. I've never mm-hmm. been to a show. I'm like, so do you have to bring the toilet paper? Do you have to bring everything? They'll you, they'll or... tell you. Like as I've been researching, trying to find a local one, like one of them was like, you get a gift bag when you come in. And the other one, like you have to bring your own stuff from the outside. <laughs> So I would want to go to one with a costume contest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just such an over the top campy movie that it's it's just funny to see. And the costumes are and, crazy. And, and, and it's an iconic role like uh, Tim Curry to this day. Yeah. <laughs> it's still like when I when I like, think Tim Curry, like I think of Rocky Dr. Frankenfurter yeah. as yeah. the first thing. The second thing is actually he was in um, it. Red Alert. Oh, Red Alert. The video <laughs> game where he has like two lines. <laughs> I thought you were going to say It, the clown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. Man, Tim Curry, Clue, Tim Curry and Clue. Another cult film. Another Clue. cult film, Clue. Really good. Anyway. um, My second pick is probably, it might be my favorite movie, uh, but is Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Um, <laughs> dumb, dumb humor done in a very smart way. I'm about to say something very controversial. Okay. Better than Clueless. I watched I watched Clueless like two weeks ago and I've gone through phases with Clueless where like I saw it the first time when I was young. I was like, this is dumb. Watched it when I was like 25 and I was like, this is actually really good and an interesting snapshot of like 1994 or 95 yes. or something. Yes. Watched it again last week and I'm like, this is really cringy and unenjoyable. I'm like, I remember liking it though. <laughs> And it has redeeming, like it's got one-liners, it's got some redeeming parts to it. But, but as a movie, I didn't love it. It's very dated. It's yeah. very dated. Yeah. Dated and like kind of dated in a bad way. Like there's dated like, oh, this is like air quotes retro 1990, which I'm yes. still not comfortable saying 90s stuff is retro. But <laughs> like I talked to a teenager at the library and they're like, oh, this old timey movie from 2004. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um but yeah, Clueless Clueless doesn't hold up. Romeo and Michelle absolutely holds up. Absolutely. Um, Lisa Kudrow and Mira Sorvino are the two leads. I've seen at like Halloween parties and conventions, I've seen Romeo and Michelle costumes before. Um, Janine Garofalo is also in this one. Man. So she's she's she, a she uh, indie cult too. movie yeah. person for sure. Um, but I think it's like, the reason I like it and it stands up so well is because, like, it presents itself as, like, two dumb blondes. But it's got, like, a really smart way of delivering this. It's not, like, making fun of them or making fun of, like, blonde or dumb people. And, and it's it, it's, it, like, a nice heartwarming movie, too. It's it's the, um, the anti-establishment. Because yeah. I remember, uh, do you remember, like, blonde jokes? Mm-hmm. They were very problematic. <laughs> All blondes were stupid, blah, blah, blah. So Romy and Michelle kind of took that, but like you were saying, they transcended the blonde yeah. jokes. Like, they did it very tastefully. They did it. But it also, I like it because you can relate 
to going to your high school reunion, right? You always want to be the guy who wants to win the high school reunion, which is I basically did not go the premise. or want to go to my high school reunion. <laughs> Whereas Clueless is very, like I said, very dated, very high school, and it yeah. doesn't relate to like kids today will be like, eh, I guess. Well, yeah, and because I think it's because like over time, like Clueless is about the popular rich kids. Yes. And Romeo and Michelle is about two two outcasts in yes. high school. Yes. And like that that underdog that like not the popular kids, like that is what gets screen time now. Like look at like Stranger Things. Yes. It's not about like the football star it's fighting. About, it's yeah. about the underdog yeah. kids. And I think most stories, most books, most media in general is from that point of view now. Yes. Um, and 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 that's why I think Romy Michelle is so cult is because you can watch it from how when did that come out? 10 90, 97? Maybe? Oh, I thought it was late. Yeah, okay. it was it was still the 90s. Okay, but it came out then. You can watch it today and be like, "Oh, yeah, this is this is heartwarming. This is mm-hmm. a good movie." Um so one of the uh the quotes that I found about um cult films um, this came from uh, Alik, I don't even know how to say the last Catterall? name. Catterall? Catterall, Ali Catterall, Catterall uh, from The Guardian, which is like a British newspaper. Um, but they argued that with the advent of Netflix, anything that isn't 100% mainstream is deemed a cult movie now. Um, the undergroundness of truly cult movies is disappearing. Um, you know, when, when you used to have to go to Thomas Video in Clausen, to find a VHS tape or a DVD of a movie, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, that's a cult film to me. Like Blockbuster doesn't carry it, right? Or movies that they showed at the main art theater in Royal Oak, which right. both of these places are now gone. Pretty um, much, yeah. Like they're turning the main art theater into condos as of three months ago, um, and Thomas oh, Video I just, hear about that. yeah, Thomas Video just closed within the last couple years too. Um, and those were kind of the go-to things in the Oakland Macomb kind of area for non-mainstream stuff. Yeah, um, and in the era of streaming, you you they're trying to go for the lowest common denominator, right? They're <laughs> they're trying to go for the we want to get the views. Yeah, but I would say that I disagree with that quote slightly. I don't think you'll see more cult movies, but I do think you'll see more cult TV shows because on streaming you'll get these like. Uh, very niche fans watching a TV show, and then it'll be canceled in two or three seasons. Yeah, and then they'll rally, and then another streaming service will pick it up for one more season, and then it get can- it gets canceled again. Um, like Arrested Development. Like Arrested <laughs> Development. Um, and I think that when you talk about cult TV shows, that's there's a common theme there. Like they're usually high production costs, mm-hmm. and they can't they're not sustainable. Um, they're usually uh, they usually only well. Usually, there's a couple of cult TV shows that last longer than a couple yeah. couple of seasons, but most of them go like two or three seasons. Doctor Who, for example, is like thirty plus <laughs> years, but um, Firefly is only one season. Yeah. Oh, um, Fire Firefly is quintessential. A, a thing <laughs> in and of itself. And and that's because they got low ratings at the time, but people will go back and kind of rediscover it. I don't think I've ever met a person that watched Firefly that wasn't like, this is one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. <laughs> no, and it, they'll, they'll argue with you to this day. Like, I'm not, like, dead set on Firefly. I don't like sci-fi very much, but it was a good, good, good show. 
Yeah. Um. I I liked uh, uh, the characters in it. I liked. I'll talk about it a little bit more later. Um. But I got all this from a uh, Entertainment Weekly article online, and it mm-hmm. was the top twenty five greatest cult TV shows ever. Okay. And um, I gave you the list, and and again, you went through and you picked a couple of them. Yep. Um. What was what was your favorite one? So, I know which I know uh, which one it is already. Yeah, anyone who's listened to more than one episode of this podcast knows that I can't go more than twenty minutes without talking about Twin Peaks. Um, <laughs> Twin Peaks, hands down, best TV show ever. My favorite TV show ever. Best cult TV show ever. Um, it's a damn fine piece it's of a work. Damn, I have <laughs> Twin Peaks stuff on my desk at work. I have Twin Peaks paraphernalia in my living room on the other side from my John Waters stuff. Um, but Twin Peaks came out in 1991 originally, um, directed by David Lynch, who is definitely a one of the top cult directors. Like, oh, yeah. Weirdest, got, directed the weirdest movie I've ever seen, which was Inland Empire, which I think was like 2006. Um, and I'm, I hadn't, and I've seen pretty much everything else David Lynch has done, but when I watched <laughs> Inland Empire, I was like, what on earth? <laughs> am I watching? And like, you have to like dissect it to even begin to understand it, which sometimes is horrible. Um, I did sometimes with, it's good. I did that with Mulholland Drive and everyone's yeah, like, that's yeah. the easiest one to watch. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Mulholland Drive, uh, Lost Highway. Um, but Twin Peaks, um, originally when it came out, um, the pilot episode was like a two hour long premiere and critics had no idea what to do with it because it was the early nineties and it's like, the shows that were on were half hour family matters and yeah, yeah. <laughs> like these quirky, you know, comedy family things. And this was like about the murder of Laura Palmer, um, who they find dead in the first episode. And to say what Twin Peaks is even about, it starts off, let's solve the murder of Laura Palmer. <laughs> but in order to solve the murder of Laura Palmer, you're dealing with alternate dimensions and <laughs> doppelgangers and supernatural stuff that is just so off the wall and crazy and good. And there's a lot of like inferences and little things that if you don't pick up on it, like you're not going to totally understand it. So there's like a whole rabbit hole around Twin Peaks that is just amazing <laughs> to and explore. And then the aliens show up. Yeah. And so, like you say, the, the, <clears throat> That more or less happens. <laughs> I know. That's, you're like, all this craziness is happening, yeah. and then the aliens show up. And so, like, there's there's part Spoilers. of it where um, <laughs> Laura Palmer herself, who is has some screen time speaking, <laughs> not to have spoilers, um, but she says, I'll see you again in 25 years. She says that in 1992. 25 years later, 2017... Season three of Twin Peaks finally <laughs> comes out, and it takes place 25 years after season two, um, both in the story and, you know, it actually took 25 years. Um, I, I haven't seen the net, the third season. I saw the first two, and I was just like, I had to, because I, I heard about it through pop culture. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it, I think that's another good benchmark of a cult movie is when yeah. it is mentioned outside of pop culture. Mm-hmm. It, like, I think uh, he mentions... There was a throwaway joke in um, Parks and Recreation um, where one of the characters was like, oh, I got uh, the new uh, box set of Twin Peaks, and I guess this this 
audio commentary really sets a new <laughs> tone to it. And um, so I was like, I'll, ch- I'll give Twin Peaks a try. Crazy. Absolutely yeah. nuts. But it's like one of those, like, I can't look away from it. Well, and it's like nuts and not, not nuts at the same time because a lot of it is about like, oh, like a romance yeah. between high school sweethearts or like a story at a diner. And then you cut to like these, you know, there's these people living normal lives, but at the same time, a hundred yards away, a portal to <laughs> the Black Lodge is opening. So right. it's always, I, yeah. I love it. There's so much to it. We could, we could dedicate a whole episode. I, I, yeah, we already have. Yeah. I could have a whole Twin Peaks podcast. I was going to say, you could, you could splice out all the times you mentioned it and you got a whole episode <laughs> yeah. right there. Um, my second choice was uh, Police Squad. Uh, from 1982, which is what uh, all the Naked Gun movies were sort of derived from Police Squad. I love this show because this was, like, when I talked about the physical humor in Army of Darkness, this <laughs> was this is the king of, like, stupid it's so, physical. Like, it's stupid, but it's smart. It's, like, so dry that where he's you doing... don't always know <laughs> what what the joke is. It, well, I was going to say, there's a scene where he's he's doing his, like, like a cop noir monologue and he's talking about the murder or whatever. And then mm-hmm. he's, it just shows his feet walking and then there's a hopscotch. <laughs> he does the hopscotch and yeah. keeps walking. And you're like, wait, what? Just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Dumb, blatant physical comedy but crossed with smart wordplay. Yes. My, my favorite part is in the intro, how, you know, how on like law and order, they'll be like, Oh, special guest Brad Pitt. Right. Brad Pitt right. is either murdered or the murderer. Right. Like the special guest, the celebrity guest is always like, okay. You know they have some. So in the opening credits of Police Squad, they always have a special guest, but the special guest dies during the opening credits. Yeah, and then they just yeah. never mention it again. It's like John Belushi has cement shoes at the bottom of a river, and they're like special guest star John Belushi, and then that's it for John Belushi. Like it's it's clever uh, and it's, uh, they they. Tried to bring that sense of humor back with a show called Angie Tribeca. <laughs> yeah, I love that show too. Yeah. So if you if you're a fan of Police Squad and you have not seen Angie Tribeca, check that one out. That's a good one. What were your two choices? Um. So Firefly. We were kind of talking yeah. about this before. So I, it's a great sci-fi story. You got the the ragtag crew and they're like, uh, uh, what is it? Merchant merchants for hire, right? Like, mm-hmm. And it's a great story, but the characters are what made it so good. Yeah, it was like your your and it, and the fact that it was like kind of like a western. Yeah, I I like that it's not like Star Trek, Star Wars, right. spaceship kind of. It's like gritty, dirty yes. western like, outer space. Somebody somebody once said to me like Star Trek is what you hope the future is going to be like, <laughs> and Firefly is what it's probably going to be. Like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I just like the subtle things that they did in it. Like they would curse in Chinese. Yeah. Which you're thinking like, well, that makes sense because Chinese is going to become like a very popular language soon. Yeah. Right? There's more Chinese speakers than there are. Right. So it only makes sense that you would. So I was like, I wonder if they're just saying like really harmless things when they swear in Chinese. And so I looked it up. No, they are brutal. <laughs> Swearing in other languages and, is always very and, interesting. And I think I think the I think Joss Whedon did that on purpose because he was like, I want to get away with something that the censors would absolutely not pass <laughs> yeah. but it's in another language so no, unless you speak that language you don't know what it's saying it's great um, but the other one oh and 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 firefly so the the cult of that one where you can still go to a comic con or a convention today and there are yeah. still people dressed up as characters or they still will reference like you call somebody a brown coat and they're like yeah <laughs> and 
that the show's been canceled for what twenty? Yeah, twenty. And then plus like years? Serenity, the movie came out eighteen, like not yeah. not too long after yeah. the show ended. Um, and and there's still fan fans about that one. Um, mm-hmm. They're still upset about some characters' fates <laughs> to this day. And you're like, wow, that's been twenty plus years. Um, but the other show I picked was an animated show that I watched on Saturday morning called The Tick. Yeah, I. I watched it as a child. I was never really a fan. I think it went over my head when I was a kid. I would agree with that because I watched it as an adult, and it is way more funny as an adult. <laughs> I think it should have been not on a Saturday morning cartoon lineup. Yeah. It should have been on like Adult Swim. It's like a Ren and like Stimpy kind of not, thing. Not, no, no. It's poking fun at superheroes, mm-hmm. which 20, 30 years ago was eh, like, like clerks. Yeah, they weren't like They weren't the now. mainstream, but nowadays- like they had a, a a guy who was like Batman. They had a, a lady on there who was like Wonder Woman, but they were lampooning these superheroes, right? And then mm-hmm. the Tick was this big hulking brute, uh, but he's just this nicest guy, right? But he's just the dumbest, <laughs> and he's very likable. And it was just poking fun at comic book culture. And I'm like, this show would do really well today. They tried to do a yeah. live action. It was okay, but they did what they do with all remakes and tried to make it darker and. Yeah. Grittier. And it's like, no, no just, go with the camp. Yeah, go if, with the. If you stay with that, like, I feel like now is the time for, like, what is it? The Boys that is, like, about superheroes, but it's, like, a different take on yeah. superheroes. Yeah. Like, if they can keep that comedic, like, parody of. I mean, The Boys is one of those ones, I think, that tries to go dark. And oh, they go too it's, far, though. It's a little they bit cringe. They definitely go too it's far. It's a little bit cringe. But, like, if you keep the comedy aspect of that, I think The Tick could make a good remake. Yeah. I, I think so too. Um, and if you got a lot of the original actors back, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is we we mentioned like three or four actors. Yeah, don't don't cast Chris Pratt as <laughs> Mario or somebody, the Tick or. But somebody brought up a good point. If Mario has a very heartfelt speech in this upcoming movie, do you really want to hear the voice? Oh yeah, no, it would be insufferable <laughs> to watch the Super Mario movie. That I don't know when it's due out in the next year or so. Um, but yeah. That the original voice actor, that I couldn't listen to a full I, sentence. I, 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 don't, that. I couldn't listen to a soliloquy. <laughs> yeah. <of that. laughs> um, but we mentioned Janine Garofalo. We yes. mentioned uh, David Lynch. Mm-hmm. We mentioned John Waters. John, John, like there's, a, I feel like when it comes to cult media, there are a certain group of actors and directors that just kind of flock to that kind of for sure creativity. Well, and like. A lot of the time, it's it's people that went for commercial success, and they're like, wow, this, I don't want to get all artsy, <laughs> but I, I feel like it's the people with the artistic vision that is outside the profitable mainstream. They are making interesting movies that are experimental, that don't have universal appeal, which means financial appeal. Right, right. Um, you know, if it's a, a smaller release and it's only appealing to a certain amount of people, like maybe it won't be profitable, but I'm sure glad they're getting made. Yeah, and I and I think that's what your your quote was trying to get at with the movies anyway, because Netflix and Hulu won't go for those small budget yeah movies because they want to get people streaming. They want to get you to sign up for their service, and so if you're gonna get a small artistic, you're like, eh, but. Um, I think an, a, a director that I that embodies that is Wes Anderson. Oh yeah, he has a very yeah. specific aesthetic. 
he has a very like I feel like he's the kind of director that has everything plotted out like from the wardrobe to the to the blocking to like he knows exactly what he wants to put out on screen and if you're not going to do that cuz he works mm-hmm. with the same yeah, he, core group of actors in that's all this movie. Exactly the same thing that John Waters does. Yeah. Like Divine was the lead in most of the John Waters movies. Yep. The same like Laura Dern in David Lynch stuff. Mm-hmm. Um reuses a lot of the same people to really Oh, the what's his name? Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. That plays Dale Cooper. Like mm-hmm. he is one of my favorite people in the world and he's in he's in Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, and Wes Anderson always does like Adrian Brody and mm-hmm. um, Ed Norton, um, Bill Murray. What the Anderson? The not Wes Anderson. The um, oh, the other guy. Wow, I can't remember. Oh yeah, uh, not Ben Stiller. <laughs> ben Stiller's counterpart. Um, can't think with of the his no- name right now. He was in the Haunting of Hill House that yes. came out in like 1999 yes. or something. You know which, who we're talking about. Yeah, so we're yeah. just gonna move on. He's, He's in blonde. A, he, he was in a bunch of Owen movies. Wilson. Owen Wilson. <laughs> We got there. Thank you. Um, he was in a bunch of his movies, um, and yeah, I, I think that they're they're very specific with their aesthetic, and mm-hmm. that is very true with a lot of cult media. Yeah, right? and when you work with someone well, like continue like to Waters. work, continue <laughs> to work with them. Yeah, make something weird and cool. Yeah. All right. So to wrap up, some rapid fire questions. Okay, here we go. We'll, we'll try to actually make them rapid fire because we yes. always like rapid fire, and then and we then talk, we'll talk about, about each about one. Yeah, okay, okay, go, go. Um, best worst actor. Oh, the guy from the room. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau. Thank you. <laughs> um, best worst director. Uwe Boll. He did all the. Uh, he did like the the horror uh, the the comic book horror movies that flopped like House of the Dead and. Oh, he's he's horrible. <laughs> Rave to the grave. Pretty much. He <laughs> just. Look him up. He's awful. Okay. Uh, what recently released movie will be considered a cult classic in the future? Pass. <laughs> I'm going to say it wasn't a movie, but Sandman uh, oh, by yeah. Neil Gaiman got, yeah, yeah, yeah. got canceled after the first season. It's a show, but I think you know Netflix is eventually going to pull that. Who knows if they're going to release it on DVD? It might be really hard to find at some point, which is like seeding it to be a, a cult classic. I'll give you that, yeah. Uh, favorite cult character? Ash from the Evil Dead. Special Agent Dale Cooper, <laughs> whom my cat is named after. <laughs> uh, favorite cult movie? Army of Darkness. I, yeah. I know I talk about it, we, but... Yeah, we, we kind of We kind of talk about it, but, but it's, it's just... It's right there. It's great. It's the epitome of a cult movie to me. And TV show? Is it Firefly? No, actually. I'm going to say Futurama. Yeah. Oh, Futurama is one of my all-time favorites. Yep. Um, and to lead into our next episode, what is your favorite thing to cook? What is your specialty? Uh, I have stolen this recipe from my grandmother, biscuits and gravy. Mm. So good. Every time. All right. Well, that actually is going to be the topic <laughs> of our next episode for November. We're going to be talking about food literature, whether it's fiction, nonfiction. I love, I've kind of discovered, um food fiction is like a genre that I can really, really get behind. Really? Um, like you talk about the food or how to make it? Or all, all like people working in restaurants, food critics, like food lit is is something I always love. All right. Well, so. we're definitely going to mention the bear. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> Join us next time as we discuss food lit. We would like to thank Orion Neighborhood Television, ONTV, for providing the recording studios for We Blame Our Shelves. You can find episodes of We Blame Our Shelves at our website, orionlibrary.org. 
If you have any questions, comments, or would like to give us a topic to discuss, email us at podcast at orionlibrary.org. And you can check out everything for your shelf at your local library. Please support them in any way you are able. I'm Dan Major. I'm James Bue. And we will see you next month. See ya.